Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Amy, if I haven't met you before, and I'm the church life pastor here at our Barrable campus. And I started 10 weeks ago, and on my first day in the office, Matt came up and said, do you want to preach? And I was like, oh, just give me a little bit of time here to settle in. He's like, I'll give you a bit of time and then here we are, 10 weeks later, it's going quick. But it's a real privilege to be able to share with you this morning and I'm really excited for what I believe God is not only speaking to me, but speaking to our whole church. And just before I begin, I just want to acknowledge that video we just watched. We can sit and think, oh, what a great, what a great video. Good on your media team. But what excites me about that video is that when we step out and serve and Uh, listening to the call of God on our lives, amazing things happen. Not just for us here in this church family, but in our community, around everywhere. And we saw that overseas, local and global mission. So I encourage you, don't just watch that and go, oh yeah, yeah, serving. If you are not serving in this church, we don't need you to fill a roster. We're not just looking to get stuff done, but we are wanting to see people come together as the body of Christ and and see what God can do through that as we step into our calling. So I encourage you in that this morning. Well, God is a good God. He is gracious. And when I, after my heart stopped beating and I had, you know, stopped my mild uh, panic attack when Matt asked me, it actually wasn't long after that that I felt God say you to speak on joy. My initial response was, oh, I'm going to be that person. Everyone be happy. And you know what? If you know me, you know that I am quite bubbly and I'm quite positive. And you might be tuning out now going, oh, golly, not this sort of a message. But Hang in there. I believe God has got some really powerful things to say to us this morning. We know joy has to be important. We see it everywhere. You can try and ignore it, but it's everywhere. I'm not just talking about in the church, I'm talking about in the world. I mean, we come to church, we sing about joy. Some of you may have grown up in church and Sunday school has so many great songs about joy rejoicing and the joy of the Lord is my strength. And we see it in the world. We see it in shopping centres at Christmas time. It's joy everywhere. We see it on Christmas cards, wrapping paper. It is everywhere. There has to be some significance in this thing called joy. And I have to share with you that actually (laughs) there was someone who was really, really important in my spiritual formation when it came to joy growing up. Someone who had a significant impact on me, who really led and modelled what it was to have joy. And now if you didn't grow up in church and you've been born post the 90s, some of this footage may be a little bit concerning and confusing for you. I'm going to show you a little video in just a second, but just hang in there. We can debrief after. We'll just watch the screens. So I'll be praising the Lord, put the zip in my bib and the pop in my bop. What are you talking about? It's fun. Praise the Lord for sunshine. Praise the Lord for rain. Praise the Lord for spinach. Yuck, don't push it. Praise the Lord for everything. Praise the Lord. See you next time, little praisers. And remember, if you're not feeling happy and bubbly all the time, the joy that comes from Jesus is always there for you. So just keep praising the Lord, because the joy of the Lord is your strength. 
Who remembers Salty the Singing Songbook? I've just taken some of you back 30 years. I grew up in Cloverdale Baptist Church. Where are all the ex-Clovies here? There's, woo, give us a shout. There's a little Cloverdale gathering here. And we used to um, look at Salty the Singing Songbook a lot in Sunday school. And, you know, I remember we did a performance once. It was quite a big deal. Caitlin Allen, who some of you might know, her and I, we were church mice or something like that. We didn't get a lead role, but, you know, we got to dress up. So that was important. Um, And Salty the singing songbook. You know, I think as Christians, sometimes we think that that's what Christian joy looks like. And I'm not having a dig at Salty here. In fact, what he says is awesome. However, sometimes we think it's a hyped up Smurf looking mascot that's going joy, 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 joy. And I don't actually think that's quite what God intended for us as joy, as a godly biblical joy. The other idea of joy that we see and often in our culture and in our world is things that bring us pleasure. Now that could be really good things like our family, our careers maybe, um, things, you know, nature. These are really good things that we should find joy in. But if we just focus on things that give us pleasure, that can be really problematic. That's where we start to see some real addictions form, whether that's gambling, whether that's sex, whether that's uh, drugs, alcohol, things that can really uh, bind us and we can form these addictions. Today I'm really wanting to challenge us that the idea of joy is not really either of those things. We actually need to look at a biblical view of joy. And I'm going to look at the story of Paul and Silas who are imprisoned in Acts chapter 16. I'll just give you a little bit of context first because there's a lot happening. Um, Paul the Apostle, he's on his second uh, missionary um, journey, I guess we could say, and he has Silas with him another believer and they have been travelling and they've been listening really closely to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's been saying, go here, don't go here, don't go there, okay, go here and they're following that and they end up in Philippi which was one of the leading uh, leading cities in the district of Macedonia and when they're there, they go one day and they meet Lydia who is a, not Lydia with the Easter eggs, different Lydia. Uh, Lydia, who is a prominent businesswoman in that area. They share the gospel with her and she and her whole family become Christians. And this is amazing. They're thinking, whoa, this prominent lady in this area, she's become a Christian, her whole family. This is so good. And they're rejoicing in that and they continue along and One day they're going out to um, pray together, to meet at a place of prayer. Maybe they're meeting Lydia, the text doesn't say, and her family. And as they're heading there, there is a young slave girl that is there and she's following them. And she's actually, she has a demonic spirit in her, which actually gives her the ability to tell fortunes. And she's basically just hounding them and chasing them down. And she's saying, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. Now we might think, isn't that good? Like she's actually doing the work for them. She's actually preaching the gospel here and they should be happy. But this goes on day after day and Paul is feeling quite irritated by this. Perhaps he didn't want this sort of attention. He knows that the Romans, he's in a Roman colony, they didn't like Jews, he knows that they are watching them and don't want any sort of upset uh, situations. And so Paul turns to this girl and he rebukes the demon in her, in Jesus' name be gone and it's gone and she is freed. And we think, oh, how good is that? The problem here was that the slave girl had owners, 
And they were earning big, big bucks from her fortune telling. That's how they were earning money, by exploiting her. And she was telling people's fortunes and they were earning money. So they instantly grab Paul and Silas and they drag them to the magistrates. And they say, these men are causing an uproar. They're Jews and they're causing an uproar. Do something. And this is where we pick up the text. So if you've got your Bibles, we're reading from Acts 16, verse 22. We're gonna read a fair big, fairly big chunk of Scripture here. It'll be up on the screens for you to follow as well. So Acts 16, 22, we start off. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a violent earthquake and the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up. And when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and he was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptised. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household." What an amazing account of God doing something miraculous in that story. And there's so many parts of this story that astound me. The earthquake, for one. So big and mighty that it would shake up the whole prison and and doors would fly open and chains would fall off. Huge. The fact that none of the prisoners escaped. Like they're free, they can go, but they all stayed there. The fact that the jailer, who would have been an ex-Roman soldier. This was not a nice guy. He would have been tough. Like these guys were not employed for their kindness in this role. They were there to, you know, enforce uh, hardship, discomfort, torture. That he comes out and says, I want to be saved. Like, what is it that you have here? Amazing things happen. Yet, the point that I find most astounding was that about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. They have just been humiliated. They would have been stripped down, beaten. It says severely beaten. Now there were were sort of like the magistrate's henchmen. They were called lictors and they used to walk around with these bundled rods ready as soon as the magistrate or the authorities would say, right, beat. And they would just deliver these severe beatings. They'd been stripped, they'd been beaten, and then they'd been put in stocks. Now, I think we all kind of think of those comical stocks, you know, we're sort of like doing those sorts of things. But I did a little bit of research about this. These stocks were actually stocks designed to go around their legs that had lots of different holes. So they weren't, uh, they weren't designed for comfort. They were designed in actual fact 
could cause a lot of pain and torture, separate legs, there was cramping. It was an awful situation. They'd been placed in the inner part of the jail. In a first century Roman prison, there would not be great conditions. There would not be good ventilation. You can start to imagine the sorts of, uh, a sort of atmosphere that they were in here. Not to mention that their mission that they had been on had stopped. Or so they thought. This was honestly a horrendous situation, yet they still chose to worship God. They were rejoicing despite their circumstances, despite their emotional pain, despite their physical pain, despite their disappointment, despite their fear and anxiety. They chose in that moment to sing hymns and to pray to God. They were rejoicing. And I think we read this and we have a sort of sense of awe for Paul and Silas, like super Christians, like that's amazing. You know, no one could do that. It's not our natural reaction to worship in suffering particularly for us in the modern and Western world where comfort is really marketed as the goal for our life. I'll just take a drink. I won't do it. Matt doesn't offer you a sip. The Bible tells us to rejoice. This is why we have singing and praising and worship in our church services. The Bible tells us to rejoice. It's really a spiritual discipline that we need to have in our lives. And you know what? Although salty probably, you know, went a bit farther with the blue makeup and a bit over the top. But what he says is awesome. He says, remember that if you're not feeling happy or bubbly all the time, the joy that comes from Jesus is always there for you. So just keep praising the Lord because the joy of the Lord is your strength. When I look through Scripture, I don't see verses that say you should feel joy all the time. Yet I read scripture after scripture that tells me to rejoice. The Psalms are amazing for this. In Psalm 5.11, it says, But all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may rejoice in you. Psalm 32.11, Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all who are upright in heart. First Chronicles 16:10 Glory in his name let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice rejoicing is literally the action of joy rejoicing is the action of joy and when we rejoice in the Lord the result is pure joy this is simply us worshiping him it's not actually hard we make it hard sometimes this is us stopping in the moment when things just seem too much, too hard and choosing to acknowledge Him. Practically, this can look like praying prayers of adoration, of thanksgiving, gratitude. It could be singing to the Lord or if you're like me and musically challenged, singing maybe isn't your thing. But you know what I love to do? I love to put on worship music. We have, you know, that $12 we pay for Spotify a month is the best $12 I spend because I get to have amazing worship in my house, in my car all the time. In fact, just a couple of weeks ago, the boys, my son, Sam and Lewis, they had their cousin over and I had some worship music blaring and I overheard them in the lounge room explaining to their cousin what this music was. Um, He doesn't come to church and and, um, they sort of said, oh, it's like, you know, church music and I was sort of trying to explain it to him, I guess. It was quite an interesting conversation. And then Sam, my 10-year-old, finished by saying to him, mum has worship issues. (laughs) 
you know what? I want to have worship issues. I want to be the person that is rejoicing in the Lord and they go, whoa, you have got worship issues. Anyone else want to have worship issues in here this morning? It was the best compliment I'd had. Rejoicing in the Bible is often translation to, translated to celebrating in God. So do whatever you can do in your life to celebrate in God. Maybe that's getting out in nature. Maybe that's sitting and having a meal with friends and families. Maybe that's being in a Bible study or a life group. Rejoice in the Lord. We don't rejoice in what we see in our circumstances, but we rejoice in the Lord. And when we do that, something amazing happens as well. We actually experience a peace a peace that cannot be explained, a peace that the Bible talks about that transcend, transcends all understanding. In Philippians 4, 4 to 7, and just before I read this, just as a side note, this is really interesting because the church in Philippi actually started with Lydia and the jailer. And now here we are, years later, Paul is writing a letter to this church, this very church that started from these two. And it says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends, transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I just love how Paul says rejoice twice here. It actually affirms that it's not easy to rejoice. Like I said before, it's not our natural response in hardship or suffering. He says it again. I will say it again, rejoice. Secondly, I love what verse 7 promises, as I've said, that when we fix our eyes on God, we experience the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. You know what? Recently, I've experienced this in a really new way. I said I've been in this role for 10 weeks. And as Church Life Pastor, a big part of my role is to oversee our pastoral care systems. And so often I'm hearing about people in this church that are going through really hard times, like serious challenges, people with cancer, people with chronic illness, people who are looking after sick kids, children that are looking after sick parents, people that are having family breakdown issues, marriage issues. There's people here this morning that have come to church to praise God who literally have loved ones in hospital as we speak. It actually shows me what that peace is because I talk with these people, I get to pray with them, I get to chat through some of these things with them. And do you know what I'm noticing? I'm noticing a peace, this amazing peace that transcends all understanding. I believe that there are a couple of things that can really help us as people to rejoice in the Lord. Firstly, as I've already mentioned, we need to understand that joy is not based on our circumstances. As I just said, these are people with circumstances that are just horrific and yet they're still rejoicing. They're still pressing in and trusting God and there's a peace there. You know, even secular psychologists have said that 90% of what makes us happy and joyful is not to do with our circumstances. There's only 10% that is what actually makes a person happy or joyful. The 90% is more about what we allow in our lives, how we live, 
our spiritual formation. This is from secular psychologists. I know this to be true in my own life. Many of you will know bits and pieces about uh, Mark and I's journey with Sam, our son, who's 10 now. And if you don't, I'm sorry, I don't have time to go into the whole story. It's an amazing story. But Sam, um, to give a little context, he, he, when I was pregnant with him, I was told over and over again that he would not live. Um, he was not to survive. He had a really rare condition called omphalaces, which meant that his organs were on the outside, but it was a very rare and large dramatic version of that, you know, went for the big one. Um, and so it, was, it wasn't a good diagnosis at all. And this church uh, actually prayed for us and walked through that journey with us like I can never, ever explain how grateful we are for that. And one, one point I want to, oops, sorry, talk about this morning, excuse me, is when, oops, there we go, <laughs> is when Sam was about three days old. And when he was born, he was in intensive care in the neonatal unit in the children's hospital in Melbourne. And Mark and I were given accommodation at the hospital for the first week or so, which was awesome. It meant that we could go up into his room at any point, day or night, and go and see him. And I remember this moment, honestly, like it was yesterday. This is 10 years ago now where it was probably about two or three in the morning and I'd gone, I just woke up and I thought, I'm going to go see Sam. I went up into his room and, you know, you walk into an intensive care room, anyone that's been through something like this or had a family member in that situation and you just hear the beeps, you know, and you just see the lines and the uh, tubes and the breathing support and the, in some ways, the lifeless looking body that lays there that you know, is just pinned down. And, you know, I knew and trusted that God was with him in that beautiful sleep. He was in in an induced coma for the first two weeks of his life. And I left that room and I was heading back to our room and I was just sort of near the lift area and, and I just had this moment and I can just picture it as clear now as it was then where I just cried out to God and I just said, Why? Why would you allow such suffering for Sam, for us? Why? And you know what? In that moment, something amazing happened. God did not tell me the why. In fact, I still don't know the why. Maybe I never will. But in that moment, more than ever, I felt God's presence with me. I felt His Holy Spirit just absolutely dwelled within my being. And it was like it was okay, that it was okay because God was there with me. And I all of a sudden had this revelation of what joy is, that actually I could be joyful in the worst time of my life because God was there with me. His presence, His Holy Spirit was there with me. And you know what? It was freeing for me. It broke something off me where I thought, I can go through anything in life. Like there's going to be more things that are going to be hard and I'm going to experience suffering. This is life. We live in a broken world. But in that moment, I knew that I could still praise His name. And you know what? Bridie Spicer, beautiful woman of this church, I'm so thankful for her in this congregation. She spoke an amazing message two weeks ago where she talked about when the map in your life doesn't quite work out, where God's taken you somewhere else. She talked about her um, battle, you know, as she, as she watched her mum die of cancer. But she chose to still, still say, God, you are good. 
And you know what? When we step out and we say, God, you are good and I trust you, we are rejoicing and joy comes. It is amazing. This week, more than any other week, I feel like we can understand the message of what it is to hold both suffering and joy together. As we walk through this week, as Mark said, it's Palm Sunday today, total accident. I did admit, I did not look that I was preaching the week before Easter and Palm Sunday and I'm speaking about rejoicing, so how good is God? Um, But we hold the, the lament and the grief of Good Friday, watching our Lord and Saviour be crucified in the worst possible way. And we hold the joy. We know that Easter Sunday, the Resurrection Sunday comes and we have that joy too. I just love what it says in Habakkuk, Habakkuk sorry, 3.17 to 18. It, and perhaps some of you can relate to some of these images. It says, Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. I believe that the second thing that shapes our choice to rejoice in the Lord is actually how we view God. We can actually have an incorrect view of who God is. Some of us, for whatever reason, however we were brought up or whatever our life experiences can be, can still see God as that angry, judgmental, condemning man with a big stick. You know, we're told in Genesis at the forming of creation that we were made in the image of God. And sometimes, sometimes I actually look at what I think is the most purest form of humanity, children. And I look at children, I think this was how we were meant to be created before really we're exposed to this broken world and corrupted to some extent. Children They're so beautiful and pure. Yes, they have their tantrums and things. We won't read into that. But for this purpose, when I look at children, universally, no matter what their family situation is, no matter, you know, you know, where they live, what country they're in, one thing we see universally in children is joy. And do you know what that tells us? If we're made in the image of God, that God Himself is pure joy. And he intended for us to live with this pure joy. You know, the writer of Hebrews, when talking about Jesus, says he was anointed with the oil of joy. God is so good. He is so faithful. He is approachable and welcoming. He is desperate for you to know just how much he loves you. And you know, once we've made a decision to follow Jesus and have accepted Him into our life, we are called the children of God. John 1.12 says, Yet to all who did receive Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. We aren't called slaves. We're not called minions. We don't become members into some club. We are called the children of God. We have been adopted into sonship. This means that we can approach God with anything. As a parent, I don't say to my kids, oh, hang on, what are you coming to talk to me about? Nope, sorry, can't talk to me about that. No, go away. Or, oh, nope, don't talk to me now. No, as a parent, you'd let your kids talk to you about anything. You let them come to you at any time. This is our beautiful Heavenly Father. 
Perhaps some of you are here this morning and this incorrect view of God, for whatever reason that is, is having an impact on your rejoicing. He just loves you so much. I can't get that across enough. He died on the cross for you so that you could be put in a right relationship with Him. He died on the cross so that you could live with joy in any circumstance, in any situation. If you can accept His grace, this beautiful gift of grace, and allow Him to show you who He really is and reveal Himself to you, you you actually won't be able to stop rejoicing. In the book of Revelation, when describing uh, the creatures who were by the throne in heaven, it says this, they were worshipping the Lord and it says, day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. When we are close to the Lord, we can't stop rejoicing. And from that rejoicing, we produce joy. The beautiful thing is that when we are joyful, others notice. And I just love in the story of Paul and Silas where it includes this in verse 25. It says that they're singing and praising His name, singing hymns and praying. And it says the other prisoners were listening to them. You know, people are often listening to you. People are watching you. Often when you're going through your greatest trials, through the greatest challenges and suffering, they are watching and, you know, I've heard this story so many times before where someone will say, oh, oh, these people just wanted to know, like, what is it that you've got that's different about you? I can remember doing Red Frogs, you know, almost 20 years ago and just so much joy in serving these beautiful schoolies. And, and schoolie after schoolie would say to us, why do you do this? Like, what is this about you? Like, there's something different. It's the joy, the joy of the Lord when we rejoice. Paul and Silas' story ended with the jailer and his family being filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. You know, I think so often we try and strive to be Jesus to those around us, just hoping that they notice something. But I feel like this morning God wants to say to you to let go of that and instead just concentrate on rejoicing, concentrate on praising His name, telling Him how good He is, lifting your eyes to Him. Because do you know what? When we praise God, when we rejoice in Him, something significant happens. We stop looking at ourselves and we start looking at Him and things start to change. Through our joy, others will come to know Jesus because our joy is not a temporary happiness. It is a deep-rooted reality that runs through our lives. This morning, let me tell you that God wants you to have joy. We read in John 10.10, it says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus came so that you could live a full life, a life with joy. And I find it really interesting when it talks about the thief comes only to steal. What is he stealing? Is he trying to steal your car? Like your money, your house? No, he's trying to steal your joy. That's what he's trying to steal. And he knows that when we worship, it becomes a weapon to his plans. 
You know, in the story of Paul and Silas, 23 and 24 verses, they say, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. This baffles me because in the story, it doesn't indicate that Paul and Silas were aggressive, threatening, that they were even protesting. So why were they told, why, why did they need to be guarded carefully? Why did they need to be put in the inner cell? Maximum security. You know why? Because the jailer and these people, the magistrates, they knew there was something different about them. They knew they had supernatural power. They had just seen the exorcism of the slave girl. They knew that these people were worshippers of the Lord. And when we worship, there is power in that. It breaks the chains of things that are holding us back. It changes circumstances and situations. This is so good, guys, and I'm not, I'm preaching it myself here, so don't feel like I'm being too bossy with you. But I believe God is really wanting to say to you this morning that we too carry that same supernatural power. God gave us His Holy Spirit. When Jesus left earth, He said, I'm leaving you with a comforter, a guide, the Holy Spirit. And when we worship and rejoice in the Lord, we are pressing into supernatural spaces we ourselves do not understand. You know, Matt talked about this last week, that there is something happening at the moment. God is always on the move, don't get me wrong. But there's healings, like even yesterday, I'm not gonna name names, but someone messaged and called Mark and I with a miraculous healing, going into hospital and then ready for an operation and then being told, oh, we can't find the thing we had to get. Oh, wow, wonder where it went, praise God. There is so much going on and we have to press into this. I feel like this is the message for our church at the moment. With Bridie, you know what she spoke about two weeks, even Matt talking about the need, the need that we need to present to God because when we present that need, God fills that space. He, he, he lets us rest in His peace when we rejoice Him and He does the work. Thank you. <laughs> I feel like there are people here this morning who feel trapped in a prison. It could be suffering or it could be an impossible situation or circumstance. But I also felt God say that at times we can allow ourselves to build prisons around our lives. Maybe it's things like distraction and lethargy. Maybe that's why we're not rejoicing and this prison is building. Maybe it's pride or stubbornness. Maybe it's a prison of false idols and wrong priorities. Perhaps it's a prison of addiction. You just cannot shake it. Maybe it's a prison of reoccurring sin and the relentless shame and guilt that you feel from that. For those of you that feel trapped in a prison today, I wanna tell you that the way out of this prison is to rejoice in the Lord. You watch as the chains come loose. So good. Not one person in this room has to be exempt from this. You don't have to be exempt from joy because of what you're going through. In Paul and Silas' account, we read in verse 26 that once the earthquake hit, All the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Not just Paul and Silas's. Everyone's chains came loose. We most likely will not see a violent earthquake here this morning. Please, no Lord. But 
I can tell you now that if you are able to rejoice in the Lord today, despite your circumstances or perhaps this prison that you might feel is there, that you might feel trapped in, Jesus has already made a way for the chains to be broken. I'm gonna invite the music team up now. And I'm gonna finish by praying for you in just a moment. But I really believe there's two types of people that could be here this morning. Maybe this morning you just needed to have a reminder that, you know, go and rejoice in the Lord. He is good. Maybe that's you. But I feel like this morning there's two types of people. There are the people that I just spoke about who feel they are trapped in a prison of some sort and they just don't know how to get out. I believe God is saying this morning that as you praise, as you rejoice in your life, not just this morning in church when we sing some really great songs, but every day as we start to fix our eyes on Him and take our eyes off ourselves and praise Him, that those chains are gonna break free. Those prison walls are gonna collapse. God can do that. But I also feel like there's perhaps some of you here this morning that are thinking, you know what, Amy, you talk about rejoicing in the Lord. I don't know the Lord. Or it's been a really long time since I've known the Lord. I wanna pray for both of those people. Can you this morning, just everyone close their eyes for me. If that is you, if, if you are the person that feels trapped in a prison this morning for whatever reason, would you just raise your hand nice and high for me now? Yep, awesome. So good. Yep, seeing those hands go up. Raise your hand. This is the first step in our rejoicing is to acknowledge that we need God. We can't do this on our own. We need to rejoice in the Lord because He is the one who frees us. Awesome. Keep your hands up. This morning, if you feel like, you know what? I don't know God. I wanna know God. I wanna feel this beautiful joy that you talk about, Amy, that comes through rejoicing Him. If that's you this morning, maybe it's, you know, you've come to church a bit or you haven't been for a while, but you're just ready to know God. Would you put your hand up now for me? Nice and high so I can pray for you. Awesome, so good. So good. Let's pray. You can pop your hands down. I'm gonna pray for you now. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You are the God of joy. We thank You, Lord, that You want us to live in joy. We thank You, Lord God, that we are not dictated to by our circumstances, our situations, that there is nothing that is too impossible for You, Lord. That when we rejoice in You, that things in our life just make sense, God. There is a peace that only comes from You, Lord God. And I pray right now for those people here who have responded. And even if they didn't put their hand up, but they know it's them. If they feel like they are in some sort of a prison, a tricky situation, a challenging time, if they're walking in suffering, Lord God, and they feel imprisoned by it, Lord God, I pray right now by Your Spirit that in Jesus' Name, that they would be released from that, that the walls of that prison would come down and that the chains would fall off and they would be able to rejoice in You again, Lord, and trust You and look to You. Thank You, Lord. For those that maybe don't know You, God, or maybe haven't known You for a little while, I just pray over them now, Lord God, thank You for what Your Spirit is doing in their hearts in this moment. Thank You, Lord God, that they're at church this morning and ready to acknowledge who You are and Your goodness. Would You just flood into their lives, Lord God, as they accept You into their heart, would You just flood them with Your love, remind them that they are a child of You. 
that they can approach You with anything. You are always there. Oh Lord God, we thank You for Your saving power. We thank You, Jesus, for the cross. In the week leading up to Easter, we thank You that we can come to You with anything and that You are there, Lord God, and that Your resurrection power lives in us too. Thank You, Jesus, for everything that You've spoken to us this morning. In Your Name, Amen.